Okay, so breaking form a little bit here. I've never uh, directly addressed the audience, but technical gremlins got in the way. So, as you will hear uh, shortly into the episode, Paul's headset was not working, and he uh, unplugged it, and for us, the audio sounded fine of him using his laptop microphone, but what we did not anticipate is that that would also pick up uh, what was coming out of his speakers. So the audio was basically doubled. I had to remove a lot of the audio. Uh, I kept some in because Paul had some dynamite quips, but uh, it'll sound a little disjointed and you'll hear a little bit of echo at certain points. This is perhaps our greatest failure to date. I had to cut out Paul's entire section of the episode. Uh, yeah, I, I cannot, uh, I, I, I'm feeling very penitent and I'm sorry that you have to endure this, but it's a good episode regardless. So please enjoy it. Please hold for armchair adventurer. That's not the kind of podcast we are. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. Sick. Okay. It's all right. We've done better. Right off the top, before before Paul even speaks, just a warning. Paul had some minor technical issues. He's using a different microphone. I believe his laptop microphone. Is that correct? Yes. So the audio is going to sound a little different. Nothing we can do about it. Sorry. He's actually on the side of a highway in good armchair adventure. Oh, yeah. What, what, what episode was that where you were actually on the that. highway? No, I was not. Oh, you weren't. That was right. You even fooled me. That's right. You, <laughs> you've duped even me. I was in a Starbucks parking lot. Oh, I got to turn this down a little bit. Fuck. Okay. That's a little better. I don't remember what episode it was, though. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, now. <clears throat> Greg, do you want to completely start us out, or should I just like say what's going down and then pass to you, or what's up? Uh, yeah, you can intro. You can intro it. What are we talking about today, Kane? Okay, well, hello, listeners. In in light of the recent explosion in Beirut, uh, we thought it'd be c- cool, I guess. Yeah. If I don't we, know about cool, <laughs> if, topical. Yes, topical. If we covered some other uh, large explosions, mostly accidental like the Beirut, but we've got a little little treat at the end. A little Wait, different. so there was an explosion in Beirut? What's that what? all about? <laughs> so uh, for our <laughs> listeners who have not been paying attention to current events, I will just go ahead and crack straight into it. So um, on the afternoon of August 4th, 2020, which uh, was 10 days ago today at the time of recording, um, two explosions occurred at the port of Beirut. Um, significantly larger than the one I will talk about immediately after this. Uh, this is a massive thing that led to governmental change in in Lebanon. Um, but uh, governmental change is putting it delicately, I would say. <laughs> yes, we'll, <laughs> yeah. but we'll get to that. So um, <laughs> we're gonna basically the structure of this episode is gonna be we're gonna briefly touch on the Beirut thing since it's since it's so fresh. We we expect that a lot of the listeners uh, probably already know about this, but we we figured that we'd explain where 
this whole episode idea is coming from. So uh, just to touch on it shortly, um, the explosion in Beirut was at a warehouse uh, in the, what is this, the port of Beirut, but it's in this like, I guess that's the port neighborhood next to Mar Mikel, a different neighborhood in downtown Beirut. But um, it was a an ammonium nitrate explosion, which if you research the history of, there, there's a Wikipedia article that Dan so kindly linked to us that lists uh, like the largest accidental or the largest man-made explode non-nuclear man-made explosions in history. Um, mostly you, ammonium nitrate. Mostly ammonium nitrate. Ammonium yeah. nitrate is extremely dangerous. Well, it's it's so what it's do humans do? What do humans fertilizer. do? They eat food. What does food require to grow out of the ground? Fertilizer. What's fertilizer. One the, what's one of the most common fertilizers in the world? Ammonium nitrate. Let me take you back, son. Ammonium nitrate's been used in many intentional bombings and many unintentional explosions, uh, this one included, as well as the one I'm going to cover immediately after this. So uh, the explosion in Beirut is already considered to be one of the most powerful non-nuclear explosions in history. Uh, The background behind this was mainly due to a ship called the MV Rosas, which is a Moldovan-flagged cargo ship uh, that was owned by a Cyprus-based company that was owned by a Russian businessman named... Igor, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Grushunskin. <laughs> and it set nice. sail from uh, <laughs> Batumi, Georgia, the country, not the state, to uh, Berea, Mozambique. And it was carrying 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate. Whoa. Um, so it had been ordered, or the shipment had been ordered by an African explosives manufacturing company for mining in Mozambique. I hate to be so, that guy, but. My disaster involved more ammonium nitrate than that. Wow. Ooh. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, yeah, easy. Yes, very, very much. <laughs> I want to well, make it very clear that they ordered fertilizer just to blow up like a mountain. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, like, what? Ammonium nitrate is used in in mining as an explosive pretty frequently. Oh. It's not just used as a fertilizer. Um, it's. I mean, it's. No, I assume it's, it's cheaper than normal TNT then. Yeah, and I think it's more. I think it's more stable to transport generally, uh, unless it's it's. So that's the thing is ammonium nitrate's generally not. It's not as dangerous as you might expect. It's just if it's mishandled or, say, lost track of or something like that, or you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, hypothetically, yeah, if it were Hypo- to go missing, hypothetically left in a warehouse for six years, um, <laughs> yeah, that might get a little dangerous. Um, so on back to the story well, real quick, Greg, where may our, some of our more prospective listeners acquire ammonium nitrate? Um, carefully, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, seriously though. I think like, above, above, like I think like 50 pound or more per- purchases are like tracked by the federal government. Okay. But how much damage could a 49 pound? <laughs> and can you get it at Lowe's? Um, I don't know. Just consult your local domestic terrorist, I guess, and I yeah. give you your, your <laughs> yeah. answer. Yeah. No, seriously, oh, though. Like on a more it, serious note, some great. of the, some of the worst domestic terrorism uh, incidents in American history uh, and world history, even, um, have been ammonium nitrate explosions. Uh, particularly the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, which was like a uh, rider, I believe, a rider truck, like a rental rider truck that was filled with explosives, as well as the Oklahoma City bombing, yep. was a uh, again a rented truck full of ammonium nitrate. I think Man. they may have also put other stuff in there too. I don't I don't know, but uh getting too far off the map here. Let's get back to this. So, uh that MV Rosa ship um basically 
uh, it was it was going to Mozambique. Uh, it stopped at uh, the port in Beirut in on the 21st of November 2013. Uh, some people say it was forced to port due to mechanical issues and possibly engine problems. Some people say the owner didn't have sufficient funds to pay for the Suez Canal and attempted to take on a shipment of heavy, heavy machinery in Beirut to finance it. So the heavy machinery was stacked on top of the doors of the cargo space component the amount, containing the ammonium nitrate, causing the doors to buckle, which damaged the ship further. Uh, the port control people in Beirut said it was deemed it was uns, unseaworthy and was forbidden to set sail. So... Basically, they just abandoned the ship and had to unload the ammonium nitrate because they couldn't just have it sink into the sea. Uh, and they stuck it in a warehouse in Beirut where it sat from 2014 to 2020. It never moved. The MV Rosa sank in the harbor in 2018. Like the port officials kind of like there was a couple people that tried to do stuff with it. Um, like like there's like one I know there's at least one guy in the government that just kept being like, hey, we got to take care of this. This is going to be a real big problem. Seriously, we got to take care of this. Kept trying to do stuff about it, and uh, did he show up dead? I, <laughs> no, he did not. Um, uh-huh. But uh, no, basically nothing came of it. I mean, again, this is this is all really fresh information. So we'll just we'll just leave yeah, the rest of the story up, up to the up to the uh, the viewers, listeners, uh, to research for themselves. But people watching us right now, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got to put some pants on. <laughs> You're doing the old zoom mullet. But yeah, uh, eventually the, uh, that ammonium nitrate explode, exploded, um, resulting in a um, explosion equivalent to about 1.2 kilotons of TNT, um, which registered at a 3.3 on the Richter scale. And uh, as far as we know now, there's at least 171 deaths and up to 6,000 non-fatal injuries. Estimated $15 billion or more in damages. So, that's the background to this episode. Um, anything to say on that, guys? No, tragic. I mean... <clears throat> Terrible. Come on, man. This <laughs> <laughs> is no laughing matter. No, this is, this is no laughing matter, but I just got about... 30 notifications uh, on a group chat that may or may not. Dan, did you not realize those would send as individual messages? No. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got a little silly here at a tragic time. Um, (laughs) Good good comedic timing, though. Yeah, Yeah, I mean. Laughing at the deaths of 171 people. Dan Gavin, 2020. Uh, Well, let's. um, Unintentionally. Well, my tragedy's worse. Let's turn back the clock a little, Greg. Yes, let's do exactly that. So, thank you <laughs> for agreeing with me. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, let's turn the clock back um, almost exactly five years. Wow. Yeah. So, let's uh, let's go about halfway across the world from Beirut to another port, a communist port. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, if you couldn't already guess this, uh, in 2015, a series of explosions rocked the city of Tianjin in northeastern China. So, uh, Tianjin, if uh, for if the viewers are unfamiliar, is a mega city in northeastern China of about 15 million people, located about 70 miles from Beijing. Southeast of there, Beijing is inland. Uh, Tianjin is very close to the ocean. 
uh, but it's not directly on the ocean. Um, southeast of Beijing itself is an area called the Binhai New Area, which is a, a new city. It's an interesting thing that China does where they basically set up a, uh, an, just an undeveloped uh, area of land. They you know, basically pump money into it, so industry comes in and it grows into a new city. So that's what this whole Binhai area is, and that's where our explosion takes place. Build like it Levitan. and they will come. And then get killed by a large ammonium nitrate explosion. That probably wasn't part of the plan. So, <laughs> or was it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know with the uh, China CCP, virus, right? The freaking pinkos over there. <laughs> that's communist. It's a communist thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not, that's, that's not, not a racial not, thing. Yeah, it's that's, not racist. Yeah, it's just uh, what was that? Pull, pull it. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, so um, the Binhai New Area is where this explosion took place. Um, and again, that's about 47 kilometers southeast of Tianjin along the coast of the Bohai Sea. So to set the scene, uh, it is the night of August 12th, 2015. A fire is reported at a warehouse in the Binhai New Area around 10.50 p.m. local time, and uh, this was no small fire. The, uh, the local fire brigade uh, showed up to the fire, and these first responders were unable to contain the blaze and they attempted to use water to douse the warehouse in their attempts to extinguish the fire, which will become important later. What these firefighters did not know is that the warehouse that was ablaze was filled with a variety of dangerous chemicals. The water they were spraying on the warehouse later caused a series of chemical reactions that quickly became violent. So at around 11.30 p.m., the first explosion occurred this explosion registering a 2.3 on the Richter scale and generating a shockwave equivalent to donating, detonating about 2.9 tons of TNT. Yay. About 30 seconds later, a much larger explosion rocked the coastal city. The shockwave was able to be felt many kilometers away, shattering windows and destroying much of the area around it. <clears throat> so that is that the big boy you see when you see the videos of this? Yes. Okay. That's the one where we are dangerous. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, go look up the videos if you don't get that reference, listeners. Um, <laughs> Speak so with some conviction. <laughs> <laughs> Please clap. <laughs> Jeb. So the second explosion measured a 2.9 on the Richter scale and generated a seismic shock equivalent to about 21.9 tons of TNT. Oh. The fireballs from this explosion reached several hundred meters into the sky, and the fire continued to rage, not just through the night, but for a full, I think it was three days, it took them to finally put out the blaze. Goodness. Um, and unfortunately, two days after the initial explosion, at around 11.40 p.m., a series of eight smaller explosions occurred, releasing a total energy equivalent to about 28 tons of TNT. So what, smaller individual total? explosions, but a larger total energy expenditure than the major blast two days prior. The So getting into the aftermath of the explosion, the explosion was large enough to be captured by Himawari, which is a GPS satellite that's run by the Japanese Meteorological Agency. The largest explosion was hypothesized by Chinese officials to be caused by a detonation of around 800 tons of ammonium nitrate, which is a very large amount of ammonium nitrate, but will be quickly overshadowed by some of our stories later today. Woo. 
The detonations <laughs> created an enormous crater. I was trying to find the depth of the crater, but uh, unfortunately they never, well, I mean, it's not really that important, but uh, they were never able to measure it because it quickly filled with water due to the close proximity to the ocean. Oh. Um, seven more seven more buildings surrounding the warehouse were completely destroyed, but in total, 304 buildings, 12,428 cars, and 7,533 intermodal containers were damaged. Damn. Uh, so the large number of damaged cars, you would think 12,000 cars, that's an enormous amount of cars for yeah. how big this explosion was. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately for... A, a number of businesses in the area. Um, the reason that uh, that many cars were destroyed was because uh, more than 8,000 brand new cars were parked in lots directly adjacent to the warehouse uh, because they had just been unloaded from uh, roll-on, roll-off cargo ships. Nice. These were brand new cars that were going to the Beijing area. So 8,000 brand new cars were destroyed. Um, interestingly, not only were the costs of this explosion astronomical from the property damage and human toll, uh, but just the break in the supply chain alone from this blast uh, ended up costing over $9 billion U.S. dollars. Oh, man. Because it, it, uh, the port of Tianjin is one of the busiest ports in all of China, and it pretty much shut down uh, the trade in Tianjin for like several days. God. Um, apartments over two kilometers from the site sustained shattered glass, loss of roof tiles, and damage to ceilings, uh, with 17,000 individual apartments being affected. Now, at the risk of sounding kind of stupid, can we convert two kilometers? Is it more than two miles? Two four, kilometers? Four miles? No, the other way around. Ah, uh, kilometers are shorter. Um, a mile is like 2.2, I believe, kilometers, something like that. I believe, right. that, I believe that conversion is about accurate. Um, yeah, I'll take it. So, moving on to the human costs here. Um, so, here's where things get really interesting. Um, as you can imagine, and this took place in China. Who controls the information information flow in China? That'd be the the North Koreans. Not so sure about that one, Dan. Uh, the information flow in China very much is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. So, uh, immediately, the government figure released for number of people killed was 14, which once they, once, <laughs> once they, <laughs> which if you realize the scale of this explosion is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, once they, once the Chinese government realized the scope of this explosion, they quickly revised that number to 44. Um, the day after the blast, the South China Morning Post uh, cited a Tianjin police source that officers had been instructed to remove bodies from the scene to deliberately understate the official death toll which, uh, as you can imagine, angered the Tianjin government. Yeah, I'd be a little pissed. The yeah. government. Yeah, they were like, how dare you? I guess, well, I guess I just it. don't imagine, like, local government standing up to, like, national government in China that much. Well, the South China Morning Post is, I, I believe it, I believe, oh. Ta I believe Taiwanese publication. Oh, oh. Yeah. I could be wrong about that, so if somebody wants to fact check me, that'd be fantastic. But I know that the South China Morning Post is like generally regarded internationally as a like reliable source of news and things that are going on in China. Hmm. Um, so it's e it's either it could be from Hong Kong or something like that, um, which South China Morning Post would that would make sense. 
Yeah, um, that they get away with it too, I guess. Yeah, at least used to. Yikes. Yeah. Talk about explosions, huh? Yeah, sheesh. <laughs> well, so um, eventually official figures came out, and uh, it was not 14 killed. It was not 44. It came out to a total of 173 dead. Oh. Sorry, eight missing, which were presumed dead, and 789 injured. So uh, for the causes and results of this explosion, the cause was found to be, again, an explosion of 800 tons of ammonium nitrate, uh, as well as 500 tons of potassium nitrate, and unknown amounts, but vast amounts, of both calcium carbide and sodium cyanide. So here's where that water comes into play that I was talking about earlier. So uh, we don't have any science nerds here in the building today, <laughs> but uh, what I can tell you based on my reading is that what happens when you mix calcium carbide with water? You get a settling gas. Okay. Don't know much, but it sounds explosive. Acetylene is extremely explosive. Oh, don't they use that in welding? Yeah, uh, oxyacetylene torches. Sure. So, um, yeah, you get a whole lot of acetylene gas. So that's probably, very likely would have been actually the, that chemical reaction and that that explosion from the fire probably is actually what ended up detonating that ammonium nitrate. Um, So, um, I I mentioned potassium cyanide. Potassium cyanide is not explosive. Why am I mentioning potassium cyanide? What's that second word? What does cyanide do? Do you know what it does to you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You greasy son of a bitch. So uh, it's exceptionally toxic and deadly, as you might imagine. Um, You guys want to take a stab at how much... uh, (laughs) Jesus. How much sodium cyanide (laughs) there was at this facility? uh, a ton? 700 tons. <laughs> Dang. That's 70, 70 times the legal limit in China, who is not exactly known for having tight limits on their Stiff industrial regulation. chemical productions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the result of that, a uh, lot, uh, lot of pollution. When the first rains happened after the initial explosions arrived on the 18th of August, white chemical foam covered all of the streets in the area. Citizens complained of burning sensations and rashes on sensitive skin regions after coming into contact with rain droplets. However, meteorologists and health experts sought to reassure the public that the rain was not directly harmful to the health, whilst the Environmental Protection Board advised against exposure to the rain due to traces of cyanide dust reacting with water. Uh, Thousands of dead stickleback fish washed up on the banks uh, (laughs) six kilometers from the explosion site on the 20th of August, fueling fears of water contamination. Officials downplayed the fears, saying that there were not high levels of cyanide in the river, and the fish likely died due to oxygen depletion in the water. Sounds plausible. Yeah, I remember missing out on that stickleback fish season. Yeah. My pa was so disappointed. (laughs) So, more precipitation throughout August in the Binhai New Area brought more complaints of skin irritation and burns from volunteers and journalists, and a bright white foam also manifested yet again on the streets in a similar manner to before. Uh, Deng Xiaowen, uh, director of Tianjin's Environmental Monitoring Center, questionably stated that the foam was apparently, and I quote, a normal phenomenon when rain falls, and similar, th- <laughs> and similar things have occurred before, end quote. Not so sure about that yeah. one. <laughs> Uh, 
So uh, to sum up the investigation and punishment, um, it was actually pretty extensive, but um, I'm not going to get too far into the weeds there. But um, after the explosions, um, the investigation placed uh, Yang Dao Liang... Excuse me. Don't worry, I'll, I'll Yang Dong Liang, uh, director of the State Administration of Work Safety and China's highest work safety official under investigation on the 18th of August 2015. He had previously served as Tianjin's vice mayor for 11 years. Uh, in 2012, he had issued an order to loosen rules for the handling of hazardous substances, which may have enabled uh, Ruhai, which is the company that um, owned this facility, to store toxic chemicals such as sodium cyanide. And eventually, sentences were handed down to 49 individuals, Chinese state officials, warehouse executives, and staff for their roles oh, wow. in the safety failures leading to the blast. So that is the result. That is the Tianjin explosion. Um, if, uh, if our listeners have not seen the videos of this, uh, some of our later explosions we're going to talk about here occurred very far in the past. So uh, cell phone cameras were not a thing then. Uh, 2000, <laughs> 2015, I guarantee you they were. There are videos of this explosion, and I highly encourage you to go watch some of them. They're absolutely terrifying. And it, uh, like the, the Beirut explosions, there's plenty of videos of that as well. That was during the daytime. The This Tianjin explosion happened, I mean, in the middle of the night. That fireball, the, the videos of it are absolutely astounding. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's it looked like the incredible. city was being just torched. Yeah, it absolutely terrifying and the and the shockwave blast in some of those videos is just maybe on the instagram one of the like slides could be a video yeah we could do that we'll have to make sure to credit it but i have a video too that i could shoot your way yeah it's like a compilation i have a photo we can use as the very first one that's a beirut photo so cool cool so, Kane, you're up next, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. <clears throat> coincidentally, I think the, it's going to work out that the order I chose is going to slowly ramp up in intensity of explosion. <laughs> yeah, none of us could really outdo Paul. Yeah. Yeah. That's special, true. That special treat we're in for later. Yeah. Turns out when humans try, they that, really that succeed. special treat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be taking it back a little bit. Dan got a preliminary question. What won Best Cinematography at the 92nd Academy Awards? What year was that? Last year. Um, Parasite. You're absolutely right, Dan. It was 1917. And that's when we're going back to the 6th <laughs> of December, 1917. This is um, at the tail end of World War I, and that is uh, the reason for this explosion, although not directly, if that makes sense. So I think I'm getting it. This yeah. is the Halifax explosion. It took place just outside the port of Halifax. So out, just outside of the port of Halifax, there's something called the Bedford Basin, which due to some restrictions of like warships entering the port, it is like a staging ground for ships that are bringing supplies or otherwise warships to sit in to get ready to convoy up to go to Europe. Also, fun fact, it's named after the Wolf of Wall Street uh, Jordan Bedford. <laughs> um, to move in and out of this basin, uh, you have to pass through a narrow strait. And on this, in this strait, you keep to the starboard side, or you keep the, I'm sorry, you keep the side of the channel, like the bank of the river to your starboard side, the right side, 
So it's basically like you're going down a road. You, you know, everybody sticks to the right. It's like you're walking single file down the elementary school hallways. I'm being mercilessly mocked for talking with my hands over video, uh, silently mocked. So we're just we're wondering what starboard is. Starboard is right. Then, then what's what's left? Port. Oh, that is right. <laughs> oh no, that's left. <laughs> uh, so, again, generally <laughs> ship, ships with armament were not allowed in the harbor, but due to some recent u-boat activity in the area uh this was lifted so the first because they didn't want them like sitting out because they could be attacked by u-boats so they had a net that they would string out across to stop u-boats but then you know ships with armaments were allowed to be inside of the net which was not normally the case gotcha so we got two ships involved in this incident the first of which the ss mont blanc is a french cargo ship that departed Ooh. for Halifax from New York and arrived in Halifax late on the night of the 5th of December. This is the day before the explosion. And it was stocked to the gills with the high explosives TNT and picric acid, as well as highly flammable fuel uh, benzol and something called nitrocellulose, oh. which was being used as a replacement for gunpowder. I'm pretty sure I got some of that in my thighs. the the other ship was the ss emo imo by the way not the callan music was a norwegian (laughs) ship carrying relief supplies for belgium and it had been in halifax since the third of december and was cleared to leave on the fifth but the departure was delayed until the following day because the coal that they were supposed to take did not arrive until late in the afternoon. Mm. So. Damn sled dogs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On the morning of the 6th, the emo was moving into the Narrows, that channel, and it passed a tramp steamer. What do you think that is? Any guesses? Okay, good. It's a ship that travels on an unfixed schedule, as opposed to like a freight liner where they would have a strict itinerary. This would be a ship that would kind of sit until somebody came up and needed its services, and then it would jet. But it is coming up the wrong side of the channel. You know, it's it's going the wrong way down a one-way, basically. So the pilots agreed to pass on the wrong side, and so the emo was kind of pushed more into the middle of the channel. So it's in the middle of this channel, and then, lo and behold, there's a tugboat going up the middle of the channel the other direction. Oh, God. So it has to go even further towards the other side where the ships are all oncoming. These ships, I'm assuming, are massive. And yes. Steering is just not a strength, I'm sure. Yes. Um, uh, you're onto something there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, back, I wonder what could happen. Back on the deck of the Mont Blanc... Uh, a gentleman by the name of Francis Mackey, who was an experienced harbor pilot, was on board of the Mont Blanc and had asked for special protections, given the nature of the cargo. Uh, special protections that would include a guide ship, but they were told mm. no. Oh. So on 7.30 in the morning, on the 6th, the Mont Blanc leaves the harbor and enters the Narrows. Mackey spotted the emo when it was just under a mile away from the Mont Blanc, and it was angled as if it was just, you know, coming to cut him off. 
So he signaled his alarm whistle with one single long blast, the alert signal, but the emo returned with two short blasts, indicating it either wouldn't or couldn't yield. So Mackie cuts the engine and angles towards the other side of the channel, or towards the middle, and blasted the alert signal again, gets the same response. Now, unfortunately, people in the harbor hear this volley of signals and gather around because uh. they know a crash is coming. As anybody would when you know a crash <laughs> is coming, you gather around to watch it. Especially in 1917, you know, before the... No television. Yeah. 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 You know, you can't just go on YouTube and look up, you know, the Tianjin explosion, for example. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. Get your sales it. pitch out of here. It's Kane's story. <laughs> well... They're about to get the. Uh, they're about to get Tianjin themselves. Well, I was going to say they were about to, you know, see a pretty amazing explosion. Probably the best one they'll ever see. Ouch. And I, sorry, I don't know if I already said this. Hundred years, I can make that joke. To kind of Dan, like you were saying, it's hard to pilot. At this point, Mackie had already cut the engine before he ever started going towards the middle of the channel. And uh, since he was, he knew of the highly explosive cargo on the ship, he did not want to intentionally run the ship aground. That's why he went towards the middle. And the emo turned in the opposite direction. So if I can, if you can imagine, they're coming at each other. The Mont Blanc turns right. The emo has to turn left. So now they are basically parallel, but where, you know, it's like head to toe. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Passing each other or stopped. Okay. Passing each other. Uh, slowly, but, you know, a lot of momentum. So it's going to be a while before they stop. But suddenly, the Emo lets out three short blasts, indicating that it will be reversing its engines. Normally, not a problem. However, the Emo had much less cargo on it, so it was sitting a lot higher in the water. And on top of that, when you turn on a propeller, there's something called transverse thrust, which is basically an alternate thrust to, you know, the thrust you would expect from a propeller along the vertical axis of the propeller. So because of these two things, the head of the Emo swings around and slams in to the Mont Blanc. Uh, so, oh, oh man. So it kind of yanks the ship into itself? Yeah. Uh, like on open waters, you wouldn't really notice it. And I, I think it was, you know, it was obviously worsened by how much higher in the water the Emo mm. was. So this caused the Mont Blanc to tip over slightly. The cargo was unaffected in the in the hold. The explosives were unaffected, but all of the benzene or the benzol, sorry, was in barrels on the deck, and those tipped over and leaked. And the sparks created by the two ships grinding together ignited the fumes from the benzol, which got into the cargo hold. Now by this point, the crew had abandoned ship. And yeah. they were they were in lifeboats, and they were trying to scream to the onlookers, like, an explosion is coming, please, please get away. Nobody can hear them. Now, that tugboat that they had passed, the Stella Maris, had turned around and came to try to put out the fire. Oh, no. But quickly realized this fire is quickly getting far too large for us to handle. Now, also nearby are the HMS High Flyer, a whaling ship, and then a Dutch Navy ship, the HMCS Niobe. And at 9.04 and 35 seconds, 
the benzol fume uh, fire makes its way into the cargo hold and explodes all of the <coughs> explosives. Uh, equ- <laughs> equivalent to 2,900. Chemistry lesson. lesson. Yeah. Would have never guessed. <laughs> I do. I, the thing about transverse thrust and the ship being high in the water, I have under a subheading science shit. Because <laughs> I didn't really. I was hoping I wouldn't have to go too in depth in depth on that. Are you uh, telling me you're not some sort of nautical scientist, Kane? I used to be. Then he moved to Iowa, and he just yeah forgot then about I water. Moved to Iowa. Uh, this blast is the equivalent of 2,900 tons of TNT. <laughs> the blast wave radiated away at 3,300 feet per second. Oh. And at the core of the blast, temperatures exceeded 9,000 degrees Fahrenheit with thousands thousands of atmospheres of pressure. Oh, my God. Um, the explosion was felt over 130 miles away. And uh, get this. <clears throat> I've got some really crazy things that happened because of the explosion. The 90-millimeter cannon that was on the Mont Blanc was launched three and a half miles as a result of the explosion. The... The harbor floor, like the sea floor in the harbor, was completely expo- exposed briefly because of how much water was displaced. Uh. And all of that water displacement caused a 60-foot-high tsunami to form. And uh, tragically, that tsunami actually knocked out a Native American settlement nearby. <clears throat> uh. The, the Micmac, which we've brought up before, and I don't remember which episode, but we've talked briefly about the Micmac. It's the exact same tribe. Oh, it was the... Um, Oak Island. Oh, yeah, because uh, that was not terribly far from Yeah, me. it's it's the same tribe. Did you happen to make a Micmac Paddywhack joke about them? Uh, we did, yeah. Okay. Uh, probably you, not you covered probably, it. You were part of that episode, Greg. I'm aware. Okay, yeah, I did. I, I, that's why I vaguely remember that. Probably not an appropriate joke to make in this situation, considering they all died. And, cons- and, and nearly all structures within half a mile uh, were obliterated. Dude, you definitely should have gone after me. I- oh, is that a bigger one? Yeah, I mean, it feels like it. Well, we'll it's see. probably, maybe, were there more humans? Maybe I should get into the death toll first. Yeah, let's talk stats. This one's pretty brutal. Yeah, Blood I don't, stats. I don't have, I have, like, for the ships, I have reductive stats. Uh, and you'll see what I mean, but. Okay. Because there's no crew sizes listed. But all but five people from the Emo died. All but one from the Whaler. Everyone on the Niobe. All but five from the tugboat and all but one from Mont Blanc passed away. As well as over 1,600 people nearby um, and an additional 9,000 that were injured, 300 of which later succumbed to those injuries. Oh, that totally blows mine out of the water, pun intended. Holy oh. shit. <laughs> it's a t- tough, tough app to make jokes on, but uh, can't help myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I. I would like to point out that this was 100 years ago. Enough time has passed that... Yeah, the bodies are cold. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe still bodies a little pro- wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. Couldn't help himself. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, what I can tell you is that this is like the single most important thing that's ever happened in Hall- or well, probably Nova Scotian history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is like... I, I don't know a ton about Nova Scotia, but I can tell you that the Halifax explosion was one of the, you know, we, one of the things that I learned about them. What I will the say first things I is, even though this is a short 
topic, like from what I've given, and this is like a potluck episode, I would say this was in the top three longest Wikipedia pages I've been on in, in the research history of this podcast. Wow. There's all well because there's just so much information about it because Halifax is not a small city. Yeah, I went a lot into the like re, re reconstruction and stuff. So because oh. I mean Halifax today is like a city of what like more than a million. It's by far the largest city in in Nova Scotia. In it's Canada. like it's yeah. yeah, it's one of the. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's probably in the Same top thing. ten largest cities in Canada. I, I can imagine. Okay, um, but that doesn't mean Jack. I mean I'm sorry, Canada. Yeah, but I mean. It's it's still it's a like fair, saying like, it's a top ten top ten largest city in like Oklahoma. Yeah, Blandida. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> okay, Dan. Sorry. <clears throat> Yours Wait, you're is, done. I, well, yeah, that that's it. Um, I because oh, I you know, I didn't know how much to actually. Yeah. And if we were, we're just talking about the now, I mean, I probably won't take too much longer than both of you guys did though too. Okay. Good. It'll be about even. It'll be interesting, though, because I structured it sort of as, like, the mirror opposite of what you structured yours as. Um, the first, like, two minutes of me talking is just going to be, like, a shotgun blast of statistics. Whereas you well, then, started with the storyline and then got right. to the statistics at the end. Well, then get blasting. So I have the where, the when, the what, and the how. And then I'll get into some details. In that so, order? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that, I, I know. Okay. It kind no, of no, no, no. That that makes sense. What Where the what, the when, and the how? Yeah. What sure. about the who? You forgot the who. The who's probably the, the same as the where. Yes, because yeah, it was I'm everybody. A, I'm just being an. <laughs> ass. Yeah, Greg's just being a little goblin. <laughs> just a little <laughs> goblin back there. So, I'm going to talk to you guys about the Texas City disaster. Which, first of all, did you know there was a town in Texas called Texas City? Yes, I've been there. <laughs> Of course, it's right next to Galveston. It's right, it's right next to Galveston. I All right, right, that's enough, Eddie. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> the where is Texas City, Texas, and as Greg has already stolen from me, it's directly inland from Galveston. So Galveston is that little sort of island into the Gulf off the coast. Texas City is like across the bridge, inland in Texas. Yeah. Um, the when. That I'll be talking about is April of 1947, specifically April 16, 1947. So this, I'm sorry, this isn't the that. Well, clearly it isn't. This is not that fertilizer plant explosion that happened kind of recently that I was no. thinking. Okay. Correct. So no, the one you're thinking of, Kane. Uh, just a, a brief aside. That that happened in a town called West Texas. That's not, in, and it's not, in, and it's, and it's, and it's not. And here's the kicker: it's not in West Texas. Okay. It's in Central Texas. Okay. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, another brief aside. The, re- the uh, main reason I know. Is it Starboard Texas? <laughs> uh, so Texas City is also where, if you guys didn't know, Johnson Space Center is. Oh okay. It's in Texas City. Cool. Oh. Yeah. What's it doing there? Never mind. So yeah, we don't need into that. Yeah. The, the when is April 16th, 1947, um, particularly in the morning hours, but in reality, um, the event sort of unfolds all day. It's not one explosion. And um, the damage, obviously, as many of our stories, as all of our stories are, the damage lasts for years and years to come. And it's pretty bad, too. Like, it, 
as far as Texas City history goes, because even if you sort of walk around town in Texas City today and ask people about, quote, the disaster, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. And they probably know a thing or two about it. What? The Challenger. Yep. Oh, wait. Not even a correct. Yeah. Sorry. I'm probably cutting that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot Johnson isn't where they launch. <clears throat> uh, At least not. That's why I asked why they were there. That's so far away. Anyways, um, the what? Okay. So the what is it was one explosion initially. But this one explosion set off a series of explosions and countless fires, as well as plenty of uh, flying shrapnel that was documented. The death toll is near 500. 405 identified dead. 63 dead that were never identified. And 113 missing, as well as 5,000 injured. 1,784 hospitalizations and 500 homes destroyed, which led to about 2,000 people being homeless. 1,100 vehicles were damaged. 362 freight cars were obliterated. Ah, and I love that word. Obliterated, yeah. Love that no, word. stole that right from the article. Uh, and, and in reality, the entire seaport was completely destroyed. Like, for years to come, the economy would just not recover. Um, total property damage in dollar figures in 1947 was $100 million. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and let's hear, ahead and let's hear it. I, have, I haven't even looked it up yet, but I'm going to do that for you right now. Just no, no, talking. no. Guess first. Guess? Oh, you already converted it? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Saying his first we're, rodeo. We're learning here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guess that's in the range of what, like, this is 1947, you said? Yep. I'm going to guess $15 billion. Oh, Jesus. All right, I'm going to give you a second guess. Don't get too crazy. 1947 is post-World War II boom. So Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, like, $400 million. That's safer. We're going by prices, right? Rules? $1 billion. <laughs> Solid one point one billion dollars. Damn, well done, Greg. You're welcome for the second guess. Yeah, Yeah. I was gonna say. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it um, it kind of gets pretty tame after World War II, the the old conversion. At least in the U.S. Uh, Like post. uh, I wonder what the conversion is for Zimbabwe dollars from uh, (laughs) nineteen. Oh my god, sixteen quadrillion dollars. (laughs) I really want to buy some of their old currency when it got ridiculous because you can buy now that it's worthless. You can just buy it on eBay. <laughs> That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, All right, so anyway, thing to have framed or something like that. So, first quadrillion dollar. <laughs> 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 so that's the where, the when, the what. Here's the short version of the how, and then I'll get into the details. Basically, like Kane and Greg's stories, it was just a major industrial accident that caused all of this. Um, the nitty gritty is that basically there was a morning fire on board a French vessel. So there's some commonality to Kane's Bikini story. Zimbottom? What? <laughs> how long have you been formulating that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. Go ahead. Oh, no. No apology necessary. A French vessel, the SS Grand Camp. 
um, which caused the fire caused the cargo to detonate. Um, any guess on what the cargo was? Uh, Ammonium nitrate. Yes, good job. Um, about two thousand three hundred tons of it. How, how many tons? Did you say two or three hundred tons? Two thousand three hundred. Oh. Yes, and Snap. we are not done there with the ammonium nitrate tonnage. So unfortunate. Um, the fire caught obviously the ammonium nitrate. The ammonium nitrate ignited, and the explosion caused a massive, massive chain reaction of fires and other explosions in plenty of ships nearby. And this being a very active seaport, there were also oil storage facilities that caught fire and ignited and exploded. Uh, if this wasn't apparent already, Galveston and, by extension, Texas City are in the metro of Houston, which, yes. as we may know, is a massive oil-producing hub, or at least yes. oil oil processing uh, hub. So yeah, I did have that typed, fires. but I forgot to mention it, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, okay, so here are some more specific details. So the Grand Camp ship, the SS Grand Camp, was actually originally a U.S ship that served during world war ii but was eventually mothballed in philadelphia um, a few years later as a cold war gesture the u.s sold the ship to the french line basically to run supplies back and forth between the u.s and france to help france rebuild after world war ii okay um and ammonium nitrate was present because that was actually a very common piece of cargo in in these um shipping lines because like greg mentioned earlier it's used for farming and how else are you going to rebuild like france parts of germany spain all of these countries without ammonium nitrate to help them farm so anyways the ammonium nitrate 200 uh 2300 pounds or tons of it um were on the grand camp it was part that day in the harbor it also had some small arms ammunition a bunch of miscellaneous machinery probably plows and stuff like that and um several several tons of these massive bales of twine okay yes you ever try to burn twine doesn't no nope. doesn't work super well well wait depending on the type of twine yeah, it's not like sealed or covered or anything. It is just straight up loose rope. Oh, well, so it's a, it's a I fireball. Gonna, I was just gonna say, yes. yeah, like it depends on the type of twine because like hemp twine will smolder but not burn, but like other types of twine, your low grade Texas twines, <laughs> yeah, yes. that's probably gonna, like a, probably gonna burn like a your nineteen forty seven twines. And, and so, anyways, later in the later in the days following the. Uh, explosions and all that that i'll get into people talk about fireballs basically flying through the air um and that's it okay so um there was another ship in the harbor the ss high flyer and it was docked about 600 feet hold away. on D did you what say did you high say? flyer yeah what whoa oh, that's weird. one of the ships in mine was the hms high flyer yeah oh i didn't even occur to me weird yeah, very well, weird. I can imagine they sunk because they're not flying very high anymore. <laughs> He's on a <laughs> roll. 
you need to add in a real good sound effect there, Kane, in this uh, post-production. So, so anyways, you remember 2,300 tons of ammonium nitrate on the Grand Camp. On the SS High Flyer, which was about 600 feet away, there was another 1,000 tons of ammonium nitrate plus 1,800 tons of sulfur. Have you ever seen sulfur burn? No, I bet it smells terrible. <laughs> I think I've seen it go into water. Does that, yeah. does that do does, something? It, oh, does sulfur react kind of like potassium does when you drop it in water? I think so. Yeah, and Ugh. it's like solid form. Or like yeah, pure rock form. form I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. actually know. But anyways, when it burns and it, it looks like this sea of blue fire and it'll have these like pillars of like little fire tornadoes shooting out of it that sounds terrifying Um, yeah so if you imagine later on as i get into more details the harbor itself just probably it was on fire okay here's the story around 8 a.m smoke was spotted in the cargo of the ss grand camp while it was docked in the harbor um, a pretty decent attempt was made at extinguishing the flames, but each time, you know, the firefighters that were on scene tried, the flames would just get get going again after a couple of minutes. Um, the captain of the ship decided to what's called steam the cargo, which was basically an attempt to try and, like, drown out the flames. I guess it's probably some kind of mechanism on ships that if they're out in the middle of the ocean and they have a fire, they just drench it in steam to try and suffocate it, I guess. I was going to say, that sounds like they probably just opened a bunch of valves in the boilers and just, like, humidified the entire place to keep it from... I think that's probably accurate. So the captain decides to try this, um, but it actually made the situation much worse for reasons that I will not explain because I don't understand, so call your (laughs) high school chemistry teacher. Um. So anyways, spectators begin to surround the area, similar to Kane's story, because what the hell else do you have to do in 1947? Um, Damn right. Yeah. Celebrate winning a world war. Two world wars, actually. It's two years old (laughs) at that point. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'd be celebrating for decades. Still am. (laughs) Yeah, we still, we weren't even alive. Um, And and at one point, the pressure from the steam blew some portholes open, and there was this orangish yellow uh, smoke or gas coming from the portholes, um, which was assumed to be nitrous oxide later on. Um, not really Uh-oh. important that we know what it is, but the fact is that it attracted even more spectators because now they you know, saw this regular black smoke from the harbor, and now they see this orange-yellow smoke. Uh, at about 9.12 a.m., the ammonium nitrate reached an explosive threshold from the combined heat and pressure and finally blew the F up. The tremendous blast produced a 15-foot wave that was detectable nearly 100 miles off the coast of the Texas shoreline. The Grand Camp explosion completely annihilated the Monsanto Chemical Company plant that was nearby, that was like in the port, um, and resulted in the ignition of several refineries and chemical tanks along the waterfront. Uh, falling bales of burning twine from the ship's cargo added to the damage, and the Grand Camps, this blew my mind, similar to Kane's 
um, 90 millimeter gun stat. The Grand Camp's two-ton anchor was hurled across the city, flying over one and a half <laughs> miles away, forming a 10-foot crater. Good lord. Good <laughs> lord. Could you imagine that being your front yard? Yeah, uh, I don't anchor. think you'd have a front yard after that. Yeah. I was well, yeah, well, you'd have a front crater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't even move the anchor. I probably just, I probably just fill in the hole and leave the anchor there. Yeah. Well, unless they wanted the anchor back, I guess. Well, yeah. I don't think, yeah. I don't think they did. <laughs> no, actually, I think they, I, they I think they had bigger fish to fry at that point. Yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they ended up getting around to it. Um. Also, one thing I thought was crazy. There were these two sightseeing airplanes flying nearby that were blown completely out of the sky. Oh. Um, ten miles within like a ten mile radius of the explosion, windows, um, sure. even throughout Galveston, completely blown out. Um, and the explosion blew uh, the almost six thousand three hundred and fifty tons of the ship's steel into the air. Some, I don't know how we know this, but some at supersonic speed. All right, does somebody have Telegram open? Yeah. All right, go to the first picture that I sent. Okay. What do you What do you see? Describe it for the listeners. Bombed out cars. Mm-hmm. Completely decimated a sea of old cars, just yes. windowless, charred, amidst rubble. Yes, that is actually a completely full parking lot. Bummer. Over a quarter mile away. Some of those are probably pretty new cars too, which sucks. Yeah, that one on the front. Yeah, definitely, especially. Um, But yeah, even like a quarter mile away, shit just burned. Uh, Okay, but we aren't done. Okay, that was just the first explosion. Yeah, now I can see why you said the anchor. Said so confidently that the anchor was recovered. Oh, yeah, yeah. You see the memorial thing that they built? <laughs> yeah. They found yeah, the you, anchor. And, yeah. You see how one of the, like, teeth of the anchor is just completely missing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. And then the picture below that is, like, the the overview. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, dude. The whole city is just on fire. This looks like Dresden, like, dude. Post-World War II, that's got to be so scary. Yeah. It's I like, we were I done. thought we won the war. Yeah. yeah. What the hell is going on? <laughs> It's yeah, those, dude, uh... this would have been messy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, and then the okay. last thing is, I want somebody to describe the last picture that I sent. Post post war reconstruction reconstruction. The last picture. Mm-hmm. The final. It is the skyline of Galveston, perhaps. You bet. <clears throat> I can only imagine with, that's from the oil fire. With the enormous cloud of black smoke in the background. Yes. Far on the horizon. All right. So, anyways, we're still not done. Um, remember the SS High Flyer? Yes. How well, forget? Uh, it's on fire too now. High fire. And yeah. I'll, I'll I'll reel it in. I'll reel it in for a few <laughs> minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, dude, we're on a roll. Um, so for about five hours, crews uh, spent to try and either like cut the ship free, get it out of the way, and while simultaneously fighting fires on the ship. Um, but that didn't work. So about five and a quarter hours later, the high flyer itself exploded because remember that had a thousand tons of ammonium nitrate as well. It also demolished another ship nearby called the SS Wilson B. Keene. 
and one of the propellers of the high flyer was blown off and found nearly a mile inland uh, and is now also part of another memorial. Now, that's a high flyer. (laughs) Um, Okay, so winding down here. All but one member of the Texas City Fire Department were killed um, because they had all responded to the fire on the ship and then it exploded and they died, obviously. Um, The one member for whatever reason, unknown reason, just didn't respond to the call. Um, There was also a five-ton anchor. Remember, the first anchor was just two tons. There was a five-ton anchor from the Grand Camp that flew half a mile away um, and is part of a third memorial for the event within the city. Now, on top of all of this destruction, the nearby city of Galveston, Texas, was completely covered in an oily fog that left deposits over pretty much every exposed outdoor service. All it's a lot in of all, dawn. A lot of dawn yeah. dish soap. <clears throat> what? Gonna need a lot of dawn dish soap. Yeah. Clean that one up. They probably had dawn back then. No. You sure? Yes. You can look right, it up, sure. but I I feel confident in that. All right, anyways. All in all, the disaster posted itself right at the top as the deadliest industrial accident in U.S. history and one of history's largest non-nuclear explosions. Plus, it led to the first ever class action lawsuit against the federal government. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, It was a class action lawsuit on behalf of over 8,000 victims. And it's kind of funny is not the right word. Coincidental. Um, Just a year before in 1946, the Federal Tort Claims Act was passed, which even allowed this to happen. Um, But unfortunately, the lawsuit didn't win. Congress eventually paid out like a little bit of money to residents and companies, but a large chunk of the money for rebuilding and such came from philanthropic endeavors. Okay. And the last thing that I'll leave you with, um, the cause of the fire on the Grand Camp, SS Grand Camp. Unfortunately, nobody knows for sure, but the heat achieved in the cargo hold of the ship suggests that the fire was burning for most of the night before. Huh. Okay. So it could have been something... I read this in the article. It could have been something as just innocent as a poorly doused cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we'll never know. I mean, is it is it like, is it myth, right? Because I feel like I watched like a children's movie about this. The Chicago fire, wasn't that like a cow that kicked over a lantern? Yeah, I've heard that too, but I don't know how Could I be total that. horse shit. <laughs> cow shit. Cow. See that, I should have jumped right on that one. But <laughs> like okay. a... It's- I promised effort. that I would dial it back, and I did. No, no, no. You didn't. You don't have to do that. <clears throat> so that's you. That's the complete story, Daniel. Yeah, that's all I got for the Texas City disaster well, of a, April nineteen forty-seven. What a story it was. <laughs> <laughs>